one of the things about preaching is that sometimes you call an audible. For professional football fans, maybe the word Omaha would come to mind and Peyton Manning. Galatians chapter 3 was the chapter we were going to look at this morning, but we'll look at that this evening. It just seems like a number of things have come together that would make the following text extra special to us. But before we go to that text, being a Christian means we belong to Christ. It means that we are in Christ. And nothing in the world is more precious than belonging to Christ and being in Christ. I believe that the Lord answers the question, what does a faithful Christian look like better than anyone in all the world? Let's look at what a faithful Christian looks like, what one looks like who belongs to Christ, who's in Christ. After all, Paul would say, follow me even as I also follow Christ. That should be something all of us can say who are Christians. Follow me even as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. He would say elsewhere, the things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4 verse 9. John would put it this way in 1 John 2 verse 6. He that says he abides in him ought to walk even as he walked. Well, what passage is it that describes what Christianity looks like, maybe more than any other, from the lips of Jesus himself? Open your Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. An understanding that Jesus is the king and understanding the need to love our king and follow him, let's approach Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 thinking about what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? Look at Matthew chapter 5 and consider with me verses 3 through 12. A faithful follower of Jesus is a person of character and integrity. When you look at Matthew 5, 3 through 12, these are the Beatitudes, the blessed attitudes. These are attitudes in living that will cause us to have the approval of God. Now, it's kind of interesting how earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul talked about, do I have the approval of God or of men? Is that whose approval I'm seeking? If we really want the approval of God, it's always going to be a matter of character. Let's look through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a sense of humility. There is a sense of God awareness 
and an awareness of a need for God. That's really what this passage is about. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. There's a sense of brokenness because we haven't lived in a way to please the king. That's what the passage is talking about. Godly sorrow works repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. And then it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that word meekness has to do with self-control. Where our passions are brought under the control of the Creator. Our mouths, our anger, our impatience, these things are brought under the control of our Creator and King. You keep looking, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. It was Jeremiah who said, your word was found and I did eat it. It was Job who said in Job 23 and verse 12, Your word have I esteemed more than my necessary food. Blessed are people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, when you stop and look at these beatitudes, the humility, and you think of the opposite, the pride, the brokenness versus the stubbornness and the arrogance, the meekness and self-control, out of control. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting after what's not right. The Lord continues, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. And this relates to wanting to be, as Will talked about in the Lord's Supper meditation, people of light and holiness and goodness. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that cause problems that they just seem to enjoy creating conflict and division. And really their father is the devil, John 8, 44. We ought to delight in helping people know peace with the king. And then persecution is mentioned in verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. One point. Following Jesus is always about character. Following Jesus is always about integrity. And when we as God's people lack character and integrity, we kind of throw dirt on the precious name of Jesus. Isn't it a blessing to know people who, although they're flawed, are genuinely people of godliness and character? I think of so many that have been part of this congregation over the years that I just really believe with my heart of hearts they were people of character. I think of our dear sister Lori recently. Not perfect, 
but a person of character and integrity who loved her king. Look at verses 13 through 16 with me. One who follows Jesus is a person of influence. And the influence is likened by Jesus to salt and light. Both make their presence felt. Both can be amazingly positive things. When it comes to influence, we all have it. It can be good influence on others. It can be bad influence on others. But we all have it. And Jesus instructs us as followers of the king to have influence that reflects light and reflects salt. Look, if you will, now at verses 17 through 48. I'm thankful for people over the years in my life that have been people who had a great influence on me. I'm thankful for people who had a great influence on my wife, on our children. And so many of your faces come to my mind as I think about that. Following Jesus is about having a positive influence. 17 through 48 of Matthew chapter 5, following Jesus is about a relationship with God and His Word. It's desiring a right relationship with God and His Word. In Matthew 5, verses 17 and following, Jesus talks about not coming to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So basically what we're saying is this, Genesis through Malachi has a great message for us in the Old Testament about the coming king that we should love and humble ourselves before and follow. I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. The law, Jesus said, spoke of me, Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Continue. Look at verse 20, and it's a passage that ought to make everyone who belongs to Jesus, everyone who's in Christ, stop and think. Except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom. It's so easy to lose sight of humbling ourselves before our king. It's so easy to lose sight of loving our king. It's so easy to lose sight of seeking to please our king. And what the Pharisees and scribes often did was they elevated their tradition and they elevated their desires above that of God. Care ought to be exercised in that. This people draws near me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15, verses 6 through 9. That's what Jesus said. What the Lord does in verses 21 through 48 
is begin several statements with the expression, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, the king and his authority, the king and his will, and humbly and lovingly serving him out of a sense of devotion, wanting to please him and do his will. And notice the type of things that he deals with in this section. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, he deals with the issue of anger. You know, the older I get, the more I understand how difficult it is to be angry with the right person at the right time in the right way. You understand what I'm saying? It's so easy. You can understand why a great man like Moses would go farther than he should when he struck the rock in anger at the people rather than speak to it. Because it requires a lot of self-discipline and meekness, self-control to avoid that. Be angry and sin not. Ephesians 4, 26. After all, isn't it anger that leads to killing and abuse and murder? Remember Cain and his brother Abel? Another sin he speaks about in this same section is unforgiveness. If you remember that someone has something against you or you have something against another, even in the context of worship, you're about to make your offering. Jesus says, stop, stop. And go to that individual and make things right. And ideally, what is going to happen is two people meet each other. I wanted to make things right with you. You wanted to make things right with me. And together we can make things right before our God. I wonder how many people allow their hearts to become bitter and poisoned and polluted by a lack of a forgiving spirit. Ultimately, forgiveness takes place with God. I know that repentance precedes forgiveness in His mind, in His teaching. But we can desire to forgive and have a forgiving attitude toward others who've done us wrong. Continuing, when you look at Matthew 5, he deals with marriage. Actually, he deals in the context with divorce. But people of God should seek to have a king honoring marriage. Amen? That ought to make us think. He deals with the issue of lust. He deals with the issue of our word, oaths. Being a person of our word. When you make a vow, be diligent to keep it. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no in this passage. 
Moving on, he deals with retaliation. When someone does you wrong, do you want to lash out and outdo them? I think that's a pretty easy thing to have, a spirit to have, don't you? Others don't know exactly what they want to do just yet, but after they mull it over for a while, they can think of exactly just the thing they want to do. Whether you are a perfect comeback person or a person who has to wait a while to think about how you want to get back at someone, payback. What Jesus is saying in these verses is that payback is wrong. The words of Paul are fitting. Do not be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. And then, loving your enemy. You see that in verses 43 to 48? Loving your enemy. I hear a lot of public prayers. But I do not hear the expression... We pray for our enemies very often. I wonder if we pray that in private. I struggle at times to think about that, to tell you the truth. And that's why I bring it to your attention. Now Matthew 6. Now if you're following along, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? They seek to be a person of character and integrity. They seek to be a person of influence that's positive and good and holy and wholesome. They also seek to have a right relationship with God and and His will. This person, according to chapter 6, 1 through 18, is a person of great sincerity. What Jesus does is begin the chapter by saying, Beware lest you do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men and then he uses the examples of fasting praying and giving any expression of praise to God of service to God can be twisted if ultimately what we want is to be praised by men And it's a fascinating thing to think about. So if one fasts, if one stays away from food because uh, of some holy purpose, maybe they they just want to pray, they want to think about uh, a decision that they're making, but if they go around with their face all contorted and let everyone know what they're doing, the motivation might just be is they want the praise of men. Be careful. If one gives, one can be giving to please God or to have the praise of men. If one prays, one can be praying because one wants to have the ear of God and really pour one's heart out to God or one can pray because they just want the praise of men. And I can stand before you and preach because I want the praise of men rather than to lift up the Lord my God.
And so what God is doing here, the Son of God, Jesus, is getting us to examine our motives. Verses 19 through 34 of Matthew 6. A faithful follower of Jesus is not just sincere. I know a lot of sincere people that don't consider themselves to be Christians, don't you? I believe that I have some friends that are very sincere, although they would not claim to be Christians, that I could count on a lot in life. But a person cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus without being sincere. See, Jesus is not just dealing with who God's people are. He's dealing with why we are who we are. Verses 19 through 34, following Jesus, is about our priorities. Matthew 6 here causes us to really stop and think about our lives, especially in the busy Permian Basin. Following God is a matter of my greatest treasure. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Following Jesus is about my vision. We sometimes sing an old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Help me to keep God ever before my eyes. And may His face shine upon me. Number 6, 24 through 27. It's about vision. It's about masters, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. My priorities are a reflection of my treasure, my vision, my master, and my trust. That's Matthew 6, 25 through 34, where Jesus says... Do not be anxious three different times. There have been more than one occasion in my life where I've been anxiety-ridden. There have been a few times in my life that I've had panic attacks because I was so anxiety-ridden. When you and I can truly trust our king, anxiety often begins to diminish, and greatly so. Casting all your care upon him, he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 Peace give I with to you, my peace leave I with you, not as the world knows, give I to you, Jesus said, John 14, 27. Now, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, following Jesus, following our King faithfully is about judgment. Judgment. Not exercising poor judgment, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. 
judgment that's harsh and critical and unfair toward another. Jesus said, judge not according to appearance, judge righteous judgment. Then I think about the section that follows, 7 through 11. Show good, by, so good, show good judgment by displaying that the Father gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. If earthly fathers give their children good gifts, how much more will our heavenly Father give us good gifts? I got to tell you, sometimes I need to pray to God to forgive me for not trusting that He gives good gifts. And then when you look at verse 12... Gracious judgment toward all, the golden rule. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. I believe marriages would be a lot stronger if we treated each other the way we would want to be treated, don't you? I believe our, our homes would be a lot more full of joy if we really thought more like treating each other the way we'd want to be treated. And what a difference it would make in churches. I'm thankful to have known people that tried in their life by God's strength and help to do what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Look at Matthew 7, 13 to the end of the chapter and it deals with those who follow Jesus make wise choices. There's two ways. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. There's two kinds of teachers. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. By their fruits you will know them. There is the danger of saying without being in Matthew 7, 21 through 23 where people talk a good game but relationally they don't love and humbly bow before the king and seek to please him. And then in Matthew 7, 24 through 27 there's the danger of building without listening to the king. It's about choices, decisions that are made. Anyone's life who builds a life without love and seeking to please, to please the king Great will be the fall. But a life that's built out of love and to please the king, the storms will come, the winds will blow, the difficulties will often seem to overwhelm us. But that life is secure 
because it's built upon loving and humbly seeking to please the king. Now stop and think about this. Jesus is the embodiment of character and integrity. He's God in the flesh. Jesus is the embodiment of positive influence. Jesus is the embodiment of a relationship with God and a desire to do His will. I delight to do your will, O God, Psalm 40 and verse 8. Jesus is the perfect example of avoiding harsh and critical judgment and of practicing only good judgment. Wow. All seven matters we have discussed. I think about choice. Jesus is the one who came down. He chose to make it possible for us to have life with him forever. And at the end of the sermon, it's as if he's saying, choose wisely and well. I think you've listened well, and I appreciate you uh, tolerating my audible. But sometimes circumstances come together in life and in a congregation where you think, it might be better to wait a little bit on what I had prepared to preach. But I'm going to say this to you. We'll never top in any sermon what Jesus preached. Because really, that's what it means to live a God-focused, God-centered, God-preeminent life. And Daryl and your family here today, we thank God for Lori because she showed us Jesus and she lived the sermon and she followed him to the end. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. It may be that there's a dear soul here that needs to make their life right with God through faith, you want to turn from your sins and you want to have your sin 